Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. In the spotlight on Money FM 89.3. Thanks for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Time to catch up with our friends from the BBC to find out more about the headlines they are watching in the week ahead. And of course, the headlines you should be watching. Joined today by Rob Hugh-Jones, editor at the BBC. Hi, Rob. Thanks for joining us. Hi there. No problem. Now, Rob, of course, we have to start with Russia, Ukraine. This week actually marks 100 days since the Russian invasion. So really, where are we now? What developments should we be looking out for this coming week on that front? Well, yes, all of us can remember back, can't we, to February the 24th when Russian troops crossed the border into Ukraine. And at the time, it's probably worth just reminding ourselves that uh, President Putin of Russia stated that Russia sought the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. He also said there were no plans to occupy Ukrainian territory and that he supported the right of the peoples of Ukraine to self-determination. So these were the reasons given at the beginning. And of course, what we've seen since is a big push on Kyiv, the capital, a big push on the second city in the northeast, which is called Kharkiv. Uh, and which the leader of Ukraine has just visited. It's the first time that he's actually left uh, Kyiv since the beginning of the invasion. So Russia has not been able to take either of those major cities, but it has had successes elsewhere, notably in cities like Mariupol on the south coast. And, of course, Russia's forces are really now massed in the east, in the Donbass region, in the industrial kind of coal and steel, traditionally coal and steel areas. And there's been a war going on there since 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea and supported separatists uh, in that area. So, you know, that area is used to war. It's been at war uh, ever since then. But now it's a much bigger affair, big Russian artillery units uh, and battalions and so on. They're fighting against the Ukrainians. And this is the fulcrum. This is the sort of nexus, if you like, of where the war is now. Uh, in terms of the, the news this week, well, EU leaders are meeting in Brussels and they're talking about how to impose a sixth package of sanctions on Russia. And particularly, they're talking about how to restrict or cut off Russian imports of oil or imports of oil into the European Union from Russia. And at the moment, we have the landlocked country of Hungary stopping this because Hungary has said, look, if you stop Russian oil coming to us, it will be like dropping a nuclear bomb, to use their expression, on mm. our economy. And so there is discussion at the moment about, well, what can we do to bring all of the 27 members of the EU, including Hungary, on side? And that's, that's the big discussion that's going on today and tomorrow in Brussels. That's certainly something we've been watching here as well. But, Rob, considering the impact of sanctions on Russia, the wide-ranging ripple effects, higher energy prices, global food shortages, inflation and so on, while countries are diversifying their resources, the concerns over how all of this will pan out if sanctions continue are very real, right? I mean, Germany recently expressed fears that the EU's unity was starting to crumble ahead of this summit that you were just speaking about. What's the plan really when it comes to dealing with the global impact of sanctions? What's the sense you get as you speak to people? Well, of course, sanctions are so absolutely central to this whole story. And they've been right from the word go. You know, there's been all kinds of concern in Europe about some countries that are incredibly reliant on Russian energy and some countries that aren't. I mean, take one country that's not a member of the EU but would like to be, and that's Serbia. And Serbia says it's come up with an agreement to import natural gas 
from Russia for the next three years at a very, very reduced and you know good rate for it. Uh, so that's going to that's going to complicate Serbia's accession to the EU, I reckon. So you know, there's a lot of uh, disparity really among European countries. Some of them are in the EU and some of them are not about sanctions and how they manage sanctions. Uh, and that's been that's really been a narrative right from the word go. Rob, let's move on to something closer to home for us here in Singapore, China. This week, we'll see the next phase of the lifting of lockdowns in the economic capital, Shanghai. Tell us more about what you've been observing in terms of whether or not it is inspiring some confidence. Well, this has been a big story all over the world because people know Shanghai as not just an enormous city, you think, what, 25, 26 million people, but also the economic hub of uh, China is the largest uh, shipping port, of course, in the world. And we've seen those pictures of ships just lined up there in the port, unable to kind of come or go. And so this has been a big sort of front page story all over the world and not just in the financial press, because Shanghai is so central to China, but also central to so many other countries in terms of all the all the things that they import from China. And as we know, so many countries are reliant on Chinese products. So this has been a big story. So that's why on Wednesday of this week, the Shanghai authorities say they will loosen restrictions uh, still further uh, in various different ways, particularly on local businesses. They'll try and uh, stimulate the local economy more. Um, and that's a big deal because back in April, you will know, your listeners will know, there was something like 13,000 COVID cases a day. Well, that figure I checked yesterday has dropped down to 122 mm. a day. So it's so much smaller. You can understand now why Shanghai feels confident enough to raise these restrictions more and local officials there have said let's try and get this city back to normal by the end of this month uh by the end of june i should say um so we're waiting to see if that happens so i think significant day on wednesday because those restrictions are being uh, are lifted to some extent on what is such an important city for china and the world you know, Rob, investors have been worried about the lack of a roadmap for China exiting its zero COVID policy. So the fear is that they could very well revert. Is that fear justified still? Well, the, there is a, a thought around the world that uh, you, the zero COVID policy is questionable. Uh, the head of the UN, the United Nations, raised this quite recently, Antonio Guterres, and ask China whether is this the right way forward? You know, are you able, are you really going to be able to clamp down on kind of every case that happens? Uh, so there's definitely a debate around the world about, about this. Uh, and that's what you will see um, everywhere. Um, but really, you know, it's, it's a case of how does China manage it? How does China manage it? And if any country in the world can manage it, you would think that China with its, uh, its control effectively uh, would be able to do so. So we're certainly watching that to see what happens. Well, Rob, closer to home for you, the Queen celebrates a platinum jubilee this coming week. This is the first big national celebration since the start of the pandemic, I understand. Tell us about what's going on there in preparation. Yes, this is quite a big deal here in Britain. Um, people will know that uh, if you try and contact Americans, for example, over the Thanksgiving holiday, that really for that four days, they're pretty much unplugged. And I think you're going to see mm. here in Britain something similar this week because we have two public holidays, one on Thursday and Friday, another on Friday and the weekend, of course. And people really are 
getting into this platinum jubilee, which is 70 years of this queen, Queen Elizabeth II, on the throne. That beats Queen Victoria, I should say, who was on the throne for 64 years before she died in 1901. So no monarch has reached a platinum jubilee in British history, and that's why it's, uh, it's quite a big deal. And looking around the country, well, there are 16,000 uh, parties planned, street parties planned, and if you, go, if you look at the local government associations around the country, they are being inundated with people saying, please, can we shut off our road to traffic so that we can put, you know, tables up and down the road and bring out all our neighbours and friends and have big parties and wear Union Jack hats and, and mm. wave flags and so on. So we've seen all of this before in the previous Jubilees. This is the fourth Jubilee that this Queen has seen. Um, but this one will be a big one. And I should say, you know, this country is not full of... Uh, people who would describe themselves as monarchists necessarily, uh, but they do feel that the Queen has done a good job over many, many years. She's, she's ailing for sure. She's in her 90s. Um, and so there is quite a lot of support for her as an individual. And I should say that even those who are not royalists, who don't consider themselves monarchists or royalists, do feel that this is a, a kind of denouement of the worst of COVID in this country. And that it really is a, it's about partying and bringing out your neighbours, people who you've probably known from WhatsApp groups, but how well do you know them actually face to face because of COVID? So there is, there's a big element of that as well, a kind of sigh of relief now that the worst of the COVID crisis appears to be behind us. Mm. But all of this is coming against the backdrop of a cost of living crisis in Britain. Surely an ostentatious celebration is not going to go down very well with many members of the public. Well, you're absolutely right. But, you know, the public wants something to cheer about. I think uh, I think that would be mm. a fair a fair description. And that this is and people are really hit by the cost of living crisis. You know, they are hit by commodity price. I mean, inflation is running at nine percent. Uh, in Britain, uh, so that you know, people are feeling are feeling the pain. There's no doubt about it, and they definitely will more as time goes on. Energy prices are expected to, you know, personal energy prices uh, to heat your home and so on, expected to really shoot up in the autumn. Um, so people, people against that backdrop are looking for something to be cheerful about. I should say the UK is expecting to spend something in the order of 400 million. Uh, pounds on this jubilee mm. uh, with you know I, I read a figure here of 280 million on souvenirs memorabilia and gifts according to the center for retail research here in britain so you know people are getting into it and people will be spending money but you're right the backdrop is a pretty dismal one on the economic front no question mm, and i'm sure that the traditional detractors who don't see the relevance of the monarchy or have been criticizing the excesses of the monarchy are going to remain so through all of this oh i think they will no question but they you know they're up against an estimated 12 million people taking part in these parties i mean that's one in five one in six of the population so there are a fair number of people who are going to get into the swing of it. And just looking at London, you know, London, just one part of it, there are huge uh, Union Jack flags all the way down the Mall, all the way to Buckingham Palace. Uh, lots of other bits of London, parts of London are looking their resplendent best in the spring. There's plenty of people getting behind this and getting involved in it. But you're absolutely right. There are plenty of detractors as well. And if you look at social media, you look at the, you know, the letters uh, columns of the newspapers, you'll see, a, you'll see a balance of both. The pent-up desire to celebrate seems to be overpowering those individuals at this point. How are you planning to celebrate, Rob? 
Well, that's a very good question. My road that I live on, uh, mm. they have applied for no traffic to be allowed on, what is it, Sunday, this coming Sunday. And so, yeah, there is a lunch party, a kind of tea party planned for that day. And people are putting tables out and you're invited to bring the food that you would like to have yourself and to share and the drinks and so on. So, yes, it'll be one big party on that road and so many other roads um, across Britain. Well, sounds like a great plan, Rob. Do enjoy all the public holidays that come along with this and uh, don't stay too plugged into work. I know it's a job hazard, it's an occupational hazard, but try to get out of there. Yeah, they'll that pent up desire to celebrate and what an occasion as well. Thank you so much, Rob, for joining us today. Rob Hugh Jones, editor at the BBC. You stay safe and take care, Rob. Yeah, thanks so much. You too. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.